Geneva is in the New York Times this morning, and not for one of the usual reasons. It's not there because of a high-level diplomatic meeting or a new directive from the World Health Organization or a development in the world of watches. It's there because of a line of 1,600 people that stretched around the hockey arena in Vernet yesterday. They were waiting in line to each receive a bag of food worth about 20 francs. Some rice, some pasta, some cooking oil, a can of tuna, a little tomato sauce, a box of cookies if there were children in your home. This was the second time that local organizations in the city have come together in recent weeks to offer a distribution of food on this scale. Similar numbers came a week ago as well. And people showed up early because they knew if they were there near the front of the line, they had a better chance of receiving something. Luisa was there at 6 a.m. last Saturday. She told the reporter from the local paper that her children were still asleep when she left home. She was glad she would have something to bring them for lunch. Geneva is in the New York Times today because here in one of the wealthiest and most expensive cities in the world, 1,600 people are desperate enough to wake up early and queue at the hockey arena for a 20-franc bag of groceries. The vast majority of the people in line were migrant workers who found their sources of livelihood and stability pulled out from under them in recent weeks. Krista Tippett, the writer and host of the radio program On Being, said recently that we are in the middle of an apocalypse right now. I know that word conjures up images of everything falling apart, of the end of civilization. And though these weeks and months have sometimes felt that way a bit, that's not what she meant. She was using the term in its original biblical sense. And when we talk about an apocalypse in the Bible, like in the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, we're not actually talking about chaos and destruction but about an uncovering, a revealing, a pulling back of the curtain of normalcy to see what's really there behind it. Apocalyptic literature in the Bible does that. It usually shows up in a time of great upheaval, and it means to show what's really going on, where power is really held, what will finally come of the unjust actions of the powerful. When Krista Tippett said this is an apocalyptic time, that's what she meant. She meant that we are in the middle of a great uncovering right now. And all sorts of things that we are normally blind to are there to be seen. She's right, isn't she? The incredible upheaval of the pandemic has revealed all sorts of things about our world and our communities and our lives. It's revealed just how vulnerable we all are for all our advances in medicine and technology, a new virus can bring virtually the entire world to a stop in a matter of weeks. It has revealed ugly and self-centered behavior in many cases, the possibility for people to hoard and quarrel and divide and scapegoat in a time of crisis. It's also revealed incredible depths of generosity and kindness and solidarity. The stories just keep coming of people banding together, 
seeing strangers as neighbors, tending to those who are in greatest need. And here's part of our apocalypse in Geneva. A line of 1,600 hungry people winding around the hockey arena on Saturday morning. Everyone who waits here is usually invisible, said one of the organizers. For the most part, these are undocumented migrants who work and contribute to the prosperity of, in, of Geneva. But with the crisis, some have nothing left. Here they are, these usually invisible people now forming a line a kilometer or more in length. With the curtain pulled back right now, that's what we see. The first letter of Peter is not properly apocalyptic literature. It doesn't quite have the fireworks and fanfare that usually come with biblical apocalypses. But it does have some of the features. The community being addressed in this letter is clearly going through a time of great distress. Peter, or somebody writing in Peter's name, addresses these particular Christians as aliens and exiles. We don't know very much about their concrete situation, but they're clearly feeling isolated and vulnerable. Again and again in this letter, there are references to suffering and persecution. So in one form or another, this was clearly the experience of these churches in Asia Minor in the first century. On the surface, the situation is pretty bleak. But this letter means to pull back the curtain and reveal a deeper reality. And nowhere does it do this more beautifully than in the reading we have this morning. Yes, you may look like merely small communities, but in truth, you are a holy nation. Yes, you may look unimpressive by the world's standards of wealth or power, but you are God's own people, called to proclaim the mighty acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, you may look like an odd bunch of rejected stones, but you are living stones meant to be built into a spiritual house. The language of this passage is regal and exalted, so it might bring to mind images of towering cathedrals or enormous gatherings of people. And it would be one thing to address a big, impressive, obviously powerful group in that way. But a bunch of exiles and aliens suffering through experiences of rejection and hardship? To call these misfits a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That is something else entirely. Peter reminds his hearers that it was this way with Jesus, of course. Jesus himself was rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. He didn't always look like much. A poor, itinerant teacher and healer who ended up crossways with those in power and was thrown out, nailed to a cross. That is all that he looked like to many. And yet pull back the curtain, and he is the one in whom all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. He was rejected by people, but he is nonetheless the cornerstone of the church, the sure foundation on which all else depends. That's what an apocalypse does. In a moment of great intensity, it reveals the truth that we are normally blind to, the deeper reality that we normally miss. And of course, it leaves those who have seen and heard with a question. 
What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? Churches of Asia Minor, now that you know you are not just misfits and isolated communities, but part of God's household. Now that you know you're not just a bunch of scattered old rocks, but living stones. Now that you know you are not simply on your own, but joined to Christ, the cornerstone. Will you isolate yourselves and demonize the world around you and hole up and care only for your own? Will you be paralyzed by fear and worry? Will you forget your identity? Or will you be who you really are? God's people who have received mercy. Will you turn toward the world in love? Will you let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, spacious with light and air, with room for all? Now that you know, what will you do? There's always that question with an apocalypse. So now what? How will you live? In many ways, it might be too early to answer that question very fully in our present apocalyptic moment. We have seen so much upheaval, so much hurt, so much grief, and so much is still unknown. But that question will be with us in the weeks and months and years ahead. What will we do with what we have seen? What will we do now that we have seen our shared vulnerability as people across divisions of culture and language and nation on such prominent display? What will we do now that we have seen our capacity for neighborliness, for common struggle for life, for solidarity? What will we do now that we have seen afresh the ways in which our societies leave huge numbers of people behind, now that we have seen the profound insecurity of life for so many, what will we do here in Geneva, now that we have seen thousands of normally invisible people whose work contributes to the prosperity of this city, standing desperate in a line for all to see? These questions will be with us. And as Christians, it is our calling to ask them, to take what we have seen in this apocalyptic moment and to dream and to act and to struggle toward a world of mercy and generosity and justice and love, a world where no one is invisible, no one rejected. If there's a great misuse of an apocalypse, it's ignoring it. It's pretending it never happened, pretending you never saw anything new. It's simply trying to go back to the way things were before. Friends, for us as people of faith, there is no going back. We have seen the depths of need. We have seen the possibility of standing together as people. Let's not waste this apocalypse, but let's walk forward in faith, following the way of Jesus, trusting in the mercy of God, letting ourselves be built into God's own dwelling. Amen.